Good afternoon, everybody. Take a seat. It's evening. That's true. That's right. Everyone take a seat. Take a seat. Open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42. I'll give you a second to turn there. Isaiah 42. So last week, we opened up uh, our very short series called Light in the Darkness. Light in the Darkness. And uh, for a long time, the people of God walked in darkness. For many years, God's people, the people that he chose to have a covenant relationship with, walked in a lot of darkness. Look up here at me. Let me see everyone's eyes. Let me see everyone's face. Thank you, everyone over there. For a long time, the people of Israel chose to sin and rebel against God. If you've been with us at all, at church, I know some of the high schoolers have been over the weekend. We've been in the book of Judges, and we can see just how dark things can get in the Old Testament and when the people of God choose to rebel and they choose to sin. And the book of Isaiah is uh, not much different. The book of Isaiah uh, is written uh, over a long period of time to, um, uh, written to uh, the people of Israel. And the prophet Isaiah is uh, pleading and begging the people to turn and to repent, to turn from their wickedness, their evil ways, so that they may be the very thing that God wanted them to be, set apart and to be blessed in order to bless other people. See, God always desires to dwell with his people. And we learned all about the book of Acts, how uh, just how personal of a dwelling he uh, has with his people now through the Holy Spirit. But for many years... God made his uh, presence known to uh, the people in many different ways, right? For a long time, he is traveling with his people uh, through the desert, right? Through, uh, you know, through the desert and the pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. He uh, hovers over the Ark of the Covenant. He's in a temple. And soon, God will make a way in order to be with us, to dwell with us. But right now, the people of God are choosing to rebel. They're choosing to sin. But scattered throughout the prophets... And all throughout the prophets, there are, are, are glimpses of light. There are moments, almost uh, this compass-like pointing to true north. In the midst of chaos, there's a few passages, it seems like, that just point to something true, that point to something perfect. And tonight's passage is one of the most beautiful passages, I think, in the book of Isaiah. It's one that's quoted a lot. It's one that's read aloud a lot. But it points to our true north, to our light in the midst of darkness, and it points to Jesus Christ. So tonight is the last night of the series that we're, called light, we're calling Light in the Darkness. Uh, two passages from Isaiah that speak of the promised Messiah. There's no real way to celebrate Christmas if you don't celebrate Christ. Right? We as Christians have an opportunity to truly worship God in this season. Right? It's not just about toys. It's not just about presence, family, all those things are great, but there is something in the heart of every believer that can look to Christmas time, to look to the season of Christmas and say, this is the time where the promised king arrives to earth. And he doesn't do it in, way, in a way that most people would have expected, but this is a passage that is pointing to the promised Messiah. Last week, we talked about getting and receiving a present maybe we didn't think we wanted, something, a present that we didn't know. And Jesus, the gift to all mankind, he came in flesh. He uh, was born uh, in a small town in Bethlehem. 
he was born and uh, many people in Israel were looking for a conqueror, a king, someone to set the record straight, someone to eradicate their enemies and to make all things right. And Jesus would come to make all things right like we're going to see tonight, but he's going to do it in a way that is a little bit different. There's always a desire for a redeemer. There's always a desire in your heart and my heart for a rescuer. There's always a desire in our hearts for justice, right? We've heard a lot about that this year, I'm sure. There's always a desire in our hearts for light, a.k.a. truth, direction, guidance. But all of those things don't happen apart from Jesus. All of those things are a faulty, uh, you know, anything that's promoted to you as true light without Jesus isn't actually true light. Anything that's promoted to you as true justice without the ultimate justice of God uh, is not justice at all. Any sort of redemption without the redemption of Christ involved is not true redemption. And we are going to see the culmination of truth, the culmination of justice, the culmination of light in uh, Isaiah 42. And so I want you guys to listen. I want you to read. If you have your Bibles open, look closely. Look at this light in the darkness. It says this, verse uh, 1 of chapter 42. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. Or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spreads out the earth and what comes from it who gives breath to the people on it. What a crazy verse. And the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant to the people, a light for the nations. There that word is. And an eye and to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon from the prison that those sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Let's pray before we discuss these verses. God, thank you for these uh, incredible verses, these incredible uh, moments of truth in the midst of darkness. God, I pray that we would listen, that we wouldn't be uh, hardened in hearts right now, that we wouldn't be distracted. God, would we put away anything that would distract us from you? God, I pray that we would recognize that your word means life, that your word, when we correctly listen, and when your Holy Spirit interprets it for us, brings us life to our bones and to our dying, decaying flesh. God, I pray that you would uh, be with us tonight. Bless this time. Thank you for the blessing of Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Look at that in verse one. It says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold. In a world that's full of chaos, we want a conqueror, we want a redeemer, we want a rescuer. We want these things uh, very badly. 
And the first word that many of us wouldn't exactly think of when we are looking for someone to rescue or to redeem us is the word servant. But that's the word that the Bible uses, and it uses it very appropriately. Behold my servant whom I uphold. This is, of course, uh, the uh, writer Isaiah is speaking on the behalf of God as a prophet in the Old Testament, right? He is speaking for God, and he says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. If any of you are asking the question, well, who is he talking about right now? I'll let you in on a little secret. I mentioned his name a few times. He is speaking to his coming Messiah, and that's Jesus. So anytime in my Bible that there's a reference to Jesus, whether it's his name or whether it's a prophecy about him, I just highlight it red a little bit, right? And so right there, my servant, you might as well highlight that red if you could, right? Behold my servant whom I uphold. In God's economy, service is the highest form of exaltation. In God's economy, when you humble yourself, you're exalted. The one who gives himself away to others will receive the most in return. The one who is the most humble among you will be the one who is exalted in the kingdom of God. The one who denies himself and focuses in on the kingdom of God, will receive everything that he wants in this life. That's true from all around scripture. Behold my servant in whom I uphold, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is God's chosen servant. The book of Colossians uh, in the New Testament says that every name under heaven has been bestowed to Jesus. Every single ounce of praise can go to Jesus. Every single name that is worthy, powerful, mighty belongs to Jesus. But this passage refers to him as a servant. And it just goes back to speak of how God operates. The most humble on earth will be the most exalted. And we're going to see a story about Jesus being humbly, uh, humbly being brought into this earth. While the world looks for a conqueror and a leader who can be prideful or who can be arrogant or whoever they want to be, as people who unfortunately sometimes desire that type of leadership, we look to this passage and we see that God has established a servant to rule over all things. It's Jesus. Verse 2, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. An earthly king is proclaimed with loud fanfare and a servant, King Jesus, enters into the world very quietly. An earthly king would be welcomed into his rule, whether he is just crowned king or whether he is uh, entering into the streets, there would be loud fanfare, right? There'd be trumpets, there'd be shouts, there would be praises. There would be this epic, uh, you know, just moment of the king walking through the streets. Someone of uh, prestige, someone of power, right? If you saw a movie star, like someone that you absolutely love, like, I don't know, like Chris Pratt, like walks through the Vancouver Mall, I'm sure there'd be a little bit of a crowd, right? I'm sure people would be like, it's Chris Pratt, that guy's so cool, right? Or whoever it is. Whoever your favorite Marvel superhero is, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, let's say he walks through this auditorium right now. I'm assuming many people will be like, oh my goodness, it's this important person, right? An earthly uh, person of influence, an earthly ruler, an earthly king would be received with loud noises, shouts, 
uh, you know, whatever it may be. And verse 2 says, he will not cry aloud, lift up his voice, or make it heard on the street. See, our heavenly king, our servant king, our, our servant king, he walks into this earth in humility. He walks into this earth in humility, in the form of a manger. Yes, there was fanfare from heaven. There were angels proclaiming, but he was not welcomed into this earth as uh, an earthly king, as someone who is going to be uh, shouted at, someone who is going to be exclaimed right when he was here walking on this earth. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. This speaks to Jesus' humility while he was on here on this earth. It speaks to his soft-spoken, right? He professed the truth in love, and he definitely said things that got people to turn their heads. But he was on this earth professing the things of God as a gentle and humble servant. While an earthly king would look for praise, our heavenly king, of course, does not. While he is here, he was uh, made in God's image. He was uh, created. He was, or sorry, he was not created. He is, um, did not account equality with God something to be grasped. Look at verse three. It says this, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Okay, so an earthly king, right? We're contrasting these two things. An earthly king, uh, it focuses on building and strengthening the strong. An earthly king focuses on strength, whether it's strength in numbers, whether it's physical strength, whether it's uh, military strength, right? An earthly king many times focuses on making the strong stronger. But here we see a reference to the king of kings, to the servant king, saying he will not, uh, a bruised reed he will not break, meaning something that is weak, he will actually focus it. He will actually focus on. Uh, it says here, a faintly burning wick, something that is dim, a dim light, he will not snuff it out. This speaks to Jesus' uh, attitude when it comes to the poor, to the lowly, to the lost. Jesus came for sinners, but Jesus came and he spoke to people um, and, and he did it in such a way, he didn't quite focus on the people who saw themselves as strong who saw themselves as important, who saw themselves as uh, leaders or kings or rulers or who were full of themselves, he came for those who were weak and those who were lost. And every single one of us, when we found Jesus, recognized we were lost. We recognized we were broken. And that is when uh, the Lord made himself known to us. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Our servant King Jesus comes to rescue and bring strength to the weak. He will grow faint. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. An earthly king or ruler may try to promote themselves as the one who's going to bring justice to the entire kingdom, who's going to fix things, who's going to make all things right. But we know that if we're sinners, the injustice uh, lives in our hearts. And ultimately, we will not succeed in bringing perfect justice to this world. We will not succeed in ushering in a perfect rule, but Jesus can and Jesus has. An earthly king, an earthly ruler will ultimately fall out. They'll ultimately fail. They will not be able to accomplish perfect justice, even if they try. In our own lives, if we try to make things right, if we try to decide what's right, it's not going to succeed. But he, 
will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established true justice on the earth. Look at this last part of verse four. And the coastlands wait for his law. What does this mean? What is this a reference to? Uh, You know, imagine a king that is so good that people are waiting and wanting to follow his rules. Imagine a king who is so awesome and so perfect that people are just waiting. What is he going to say next? What kind of rule is he going to bring next? What what kind of direction? What kind of vision? What what is he going to say next? The coastlands wait for this law. That's a reference to uh, far off land, right? A land that is uh, off uh, across the ocean somewhere. A land that is not within our approximate vicinity. So this is referencing, of course, the good news of the gospel that won't just be for one group of people. It won't just be uh, for a specific town or specific nation. But the gospel is going to be spread across the globe and the coastlands wait for his law. What is he going to say next? What is he going to do? This ultimately speaks to the gospel and how so many people are going to hear the gospel. So many people are going to hear the good news and rejoice and be glad. We don't really like to follow the rules. I I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes it's like, oh, I know the rule, but like, how can we bend it a little bit, right? I know there's some people in the room that I'm not alone in that, right? None of us are like, oh man, I can't wait till the school administrator tells me what I'm doing wrong. Oh man, I cannot wait to see what kind of rules they have next in the school conduct book. Like, I am just itching to read next year's edition. All right, what does it have to say, right? Like, when my parents are disciplining me or my parents are telling me the rules, man, I love listening to all that stuff. Can anyone in the room profess they love rules? We love listening to it. Even the rule followers in the room are like, well, you know, I like try and follow the rules, but like, I do it because I'm scared if I don't. This speaks to a king who is so good and is so loving and is so personable to you individually. He knows you, he cares for you, that you are actually glad when you hear what he has declared because you believe that those laws and those uh, instructions are going to lead you to life. They're going to lead you closer to Jesus. They're going to lead you closer to godliness. The coastlands, they hear The nations, the people, they hear the gospel and they are thankful. They're happy to see that his law is prevailing, right? Last week we read that his law and his peace will will show no end, that it will continue to spread. And it's a reference here as well. They wait for his law. They hang on every single word. Nowhere else will you find this until you fall under Jesus and fall under his rule. Nowhere else will you find this. Nobody does this. Nobody is thankful to know, of course, what someone's law is unless they know the ruler personally. And when you know Jesus and you know his word and you know that he loves you and he cares for you, you will be focused on it. You will be dedicated to it. And the, cross, the coastlands wait for his law. So the speaker, of course, here, the, the, the writer is not just referring to the people of Israel, but to the rest of the world and to the rest of eternity. So what does this uh, first few passages show us? Number one, the servant King Jesus will rule. The servant King Jesus will rule. Fill that in. There's no doubt about this. There's no question in history. There's no question across scripture if Jesus is the one who is ruling. It's a fact. 
the servant King Jesus will rule. Hundreds of years before it would happen, the prophet Isaiah speaks to this. Verse number five, it says this. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people in it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness, verse six says. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison, those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So there's some big promises from the text here, right? God's going to raise up this servant where people will wait to hear his law. He will bring justice to the whole earth. He will be humble. He will have the spirit of God within him. But what is it that he does? What is it that he's going to do? Verses 5 through 9 show us those things. Jesus' rule. Jesus gives light and freedom to the lost and captive. That's our second point. What is Jesus going to do? How is this earthly or this uh, servant king going to rule on this earth and beyond? He's going to give light and freedom to the lost and the captive. In a world full of darkness, there's a bright light that shines. In a world full of, full of confusion, there is truth that resounds. And it doesn't happen apart from the Messiah. It doesn't happen apart from God's servant. We just know how dark that uh, we can be as humans. If you look at the Old Testament, New Testament, or you turn on the news, you can see that we are caught in darkness. But unfortunately, we live in a time, and this has always been true, and we're seeing it now, and we've seen it throughout the entirety of history. We take things that are good and we put them to the side, and we promote and, and hold close sometimes to things that are bad. We switch the rule of God. We switch what the, uh, the gospel and the, the Bible says is bad, and we see it as good, and we, we take what is good and push it to the sidelines, right? But here, in a resounding moment, Jesus comes to be a light in the darkness, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. How incredible is it? That Jesus would not do, he wouldn't do this thing just figuratively. Of course, he does that to all of us who trust in him. But he literally causes people who were blind in the gospels to be able to see. He encounters a man who is begging, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus literally opens his eyes. A man who was blind his whole life has the scales fall from his eyes and he can see in perfect light. He can see in perfect vision his Messiah, his Jesus before him. So people are looking for a king. We are looking for a king. And there's nothing in our, you know, in our own sinful nature, nature we look to a king uh, and we look to a king and, and sometimes we think, okay, maybe I can be that thing. Maybe I can be 
my own savior. Maybe I can help give uh, light and direction to myself. Now look at the language here in verses 6, 7, and 8, right? It says, a light for the nation to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from their dungeon, from the prison to those who sit in darkness. Many people will say to you, you know, that the we, we, religion is good, it, it's okay, as long as you're not too crazy about it. You know, this Jesus guy, he was a great teacher, he promoted a lot of good values, and I think that is important. But like, we're okay, you don't need Jesus, you don't need those things, or if you have Jesus, that's fine. The world may try and tell you that, but nowhere in scripture is that language used. And if sometimes you hear me from this stage or someone else from this stage, uh, you know, speaking of sin and darkness or speaking of something like that, and you're like, that's pretty intense. Read these passages. This speaks to Jesus freeing people from the depths of a dungeon. This is, you know, many people would read this and think, man, he's going to free prisoners who've been captive by this other nation. But the reality is every single person who's ever been born has been born in chains. They have been born in sin. They have been born in darkness and in the midst of the dungeon of sin. But no longer does that need to happen. No longer does that have to be the case. For he's come to free the prisoners in the dungeon and to shine a light in a dark place. If you've ever been completely lost before, if you've ever been somewhere where there's not been a ton of light, you can see it from a long way off, right? If you've been in the woods, a phone's died, something like that, hopefully that's something crazy hasn't happened to you like that. But if you see a light coming to rescue you, or if there's a light, car light from a far way off, imagine that moment of relief. And for all of us, we were born into a sin. We were born into separation from God. We don't make any apologies for telling you that. I don't make any apologies for saying, sorry, hey, guess what? You're a sinner. Just please, I don't want you to be offended by what I'm saying. I'm willing to tell you the truth because there is good news. There has been a light to the nations. There has been direction and truth and light in the darkness. And his name is Jesus. No longer to those people do we or to anyone who knows Jesus have to sit in this darkness. So, what does this look like? How would this King Jesus come? How would this Jesus show himself as a light before mankind? I want to read you a passage uh, from Luke chapter 2. We talked a little bit about this last week. um, When last week we read about the kingdom of David, right, being uh, ruled over. The kingdom of David always having a ruler on the throne for eternity, And we saw a moment when uh, an angel visits Mary and he professes the very thing that Isaiah says uh, hundreds of years before and he speaks to the reality of Emmanuel, God being and dwelling with us. The story continues and I want to read from uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is how the humble servant, the servant king would enter this world and make his dwelling with you and with me. Luke chapter two, if you, uh, if you don't wanna turn there, I'd ask you just to listen closely to this. It says this, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration uh, when Quinarius was governor of Syria and, went to, and when all went to be registered, each 
to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The people, for unto this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. That's how the humble servant, the humble king is going to enter into the world. No fanfare, right? From angels, yes, and from a few shepherds around. But he didn't even have a temporary home. He couldn't even find a temporary residence. There wasn't space for him. He was born in a manger. The servant king, the one that Isaiah professed, behold my servant who I'm up, by whom I uphold, would be born in a manger. You see, Jesus is described as the bread of life. He's described as the one who's going to sustain all things. And symbolically in this moment, many people would have had their living and uh, make and, and even be sustained by the livestock that would have been staying there. And in this moment, symbolically, God puts his savior of the world humbly, quietly, in a small town in Bethlehem. And that's what we celebrate as Christmas. That's what we celebrate. That's what we look to. And when we look to passages like this in Isaiah, when we say, behold, my servant, we celebrate and recognize Jesus, who is our humble servant, who is the humble king who came to seek and to save the lost. The servant king Jesus will rule, verses 1 through 4. Verses 5 through 9 show us that Jesus gives light and freedom to those who are lost and those who are captive. When you face darkness in your life, you have access to the Lord of light. When the chains of sin seem to be entangling you again, that old habit, that old sin, that old person who then pops up into your life and is causing you to sin, when we entangle ourselves in these things, you have access to the one who gives freedom. When you're confused and lost and lonely, you have access to the one who brings perfect justice to the world. Do you know him personally? When things are difficult, when things are challenging, when friends lead, when things change, when you lose someone that you love deeply, when things seem dark, you have access to the Lord of light. Do you run to him? Do you cherish him? Do you hold him dear? Do you look to his words? Or do you know him? Have you ignored him? Have you chosen to do your own thing? Have you chosen to forget the promises of God? Because there is no light so bright and so true 
than the light of Jesus. There is no justice that is so perfect without the justice that Jesus ushers in. There is no peace without Jesus. Truth, justice, peace, these are things that we crave so desperately. These are things that we cry out for our heart's desire and we cannot have without Jesus. The promises of justice, truth, and peace were fulfilled hundreds of years after the words of Isaiah. It was fulfilled in a manger. It was fulfilled on a cross, and it was fulfilled outside of an empty tomb. And so do you know this light? Do you know this person? Do you know the servant Jesus well? The main idea tonight, freedom, light, and justice reign forever in Jesus' kingdom. Freedom, light, and justice reign forever in Jesus' kingdom. The humble king would come to literally break into a dungeon and take people out who are in captive to show light and to establish justice for not just you personally, but for the whole world. And we're watching that unfold. Yes, there is massive problems but God is still working and redeeming and rescuing all things. Yes, there is still pain, but God is rescuing and redeeming and reconciling all things to himself, Colossians 1 says. He is healing the broken land. And so my question for you is, do you know this Messiah? The one that scripture, the Old Testament points to, and the one that the gospels and the epistles speak about, do you know him? Have you seen this light? If you don't know him, if you have been, uh, you know, hearing about him, wanting to hear more, but you've been hesitant, you can have access to truth. You can have access to justice. You can have access to peace. Not necessarily what we would want to see happen on the world, but in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds, we're going to be freed from the captivity of sin and death. Do you know the great rescuer? When the world tells you all these things and you just don't really know where to turn, you don't know who to trust, do you have an unshakable light or truth that you can look at and you can point yourself to every single day? When you are tired of the burdens, do you have the rescuer by your side? Because Jesus welcomes you into his kingdom. You know, there's this song that we're going to sing in a minute where we speak of and we, we listen to the kingdom of light. We, 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 we speak about and we profess the kingdom of light. And that is what Jesus came to establish. A humble servant in a world that wants a conqueror, in a world that wants a ruler, in a world that uh, doesn't mind if a narcissist or if a prideful person is in charge. We see the humble king, Jesus, walk into this earth, come into this earth uh, to establish his rule and to establish his kingdom. And he's still doing that today. If you've been with us, right, in the book of Acts a few months ago, we know that now because of his sacrifice and because of uh, his instructions, we have access to the Holy Spirit who is so close to us, we, don't even, we can't even really comprehend it. He dwells with us. But if you're in this room and you, you desire that, you know you want justice, you know you want peace, you know you want to be rescued, then the Lord is near. He is close to the brokenhearted. He is close to those who are downcast and poor in spirit. And he loves you. I'd love to tell you more about him. We'd love to share with you one of your friends or one of the leaders here would love to tell you about who this king 
is. So this Christmas season, don't just go through it. I asked you this last week. Don't just go through this Christmas season and think, yeah, sweet, we sing these songs that are like 100 years old or 200 years old and they kind of have old English in it and sometimes it's awkward to sing out loud. Listen closely to these words and think about them when they profess of peace being before all men. Think about the Lord who brings in perfect justice. When we hear about light, think about how you were caught in sin and darkness and all of a sudden one day your eyes were opened and the Lord revealed himself to you and you recognized you needed a savior. When you think about your friends who are lost, sing those words with joy, with confidence, knowing the Lord is still working and redeeming and rescuing all things. This is a time to worship the Lord. It is a season to thank him, to thank Jesus for being the servant king, for being the one who has set the captives free, for the one who has brought justice and will continue to bring justice to all the world. Worship him in this season. Sing to him in this season. And remember where we were before him. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for uh, this truth. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the fact that uh, you are the light in the darkness, that you are the one who came to rescue and redeem all things to yourself. I pray that uh, in this moment as we sing, we wouldn't just uh, sing these words uh, as, a, as a habit or as some sort of thing that we just do, but God, would we dwell on this truth? Would we encourage one another with this truth? God, this Christmas season, would we recognize that you have brought light to darkness? In the darkness of our hearts, when we're lost and confused, <laughs> you brought us truth. God, in seasons where it seemed like the enemy would win, you have brought justice. God, when it seemed like there was nothing uh, that we could understand, you brought us security. Help us to sing to you with conviction, with joy in this moment. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you uh, that we get to know you personally. Thank you that we get to look to your rule and your kingship with joy, that we don't have to fear your law or decree, but we get to look forward to it. Be with us tonight as we continue to sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.